Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. We are solidly in spring now, or at least I am. Last week was the spring equinox, unless you're in the southern hemisphere, in which case you're entering the fall season. Good for you, I like fall. And if you're too far north, then the calendar may say spring, but it's still snowy. And in that case, I'm sorry for you. Because I love spring. It's my second favorite season, behind fall. I like the seasons where trees do cool things. In autumn, the leaves turn vibrant colors. And now here in spring, we are starting to see pops of color return to the landscape as flowers burst from their branches. I really do love flowers. And one of my favorite flowers is the cherry blossom. Cherry trees in general have a very messy classification, but also have a fascinating history of cultivation across the world. So let's find out what makes a cherry a cherry and learn about the different ways these trees enrich our lives. So when someone is telling you about a cherry plant, they could be referring to a number of things. Let's start with a big picture and narrow in on the cherries that I want to talk about. Cherries belong to the rose family, along with many other popular plants like roses, apples, rowans, blackberries, I could go on. In this family, we are in a specific genus called prunus, which contains fruits that are classified as droops, more commonly known as stone fruits. I'm talking apricots, nectarines, peaches, almonds, and plums. Plums being what prunus is Latin for. This is a fairly large genus. There's somewhere around 400 species in it. One really interesting detail about the plum genus is that the species in this group all contain compounds that turn into hydrogen cyanide when damaged. Cyanide is poisonous to humans. In most cases, the plants don't contain enough to harm us if we did chew on them, but for safety reasons, I'm going to tell you to not eat the branches of cherry trees or any of the other trees I just mentioned. Now, getting more specific in classification, this genus is split into six subgenera. Four of these are dedicated to different kinds of cherries. We have dwarf cherries, cherry laurels, bird cherries, and true cherries. Today, I am going to be talking about two species of true cherry and one species of bird cherry. Ignore everything else. Starting with the so-called true cherries, these guys are apparently the real deal and are classified in the subgenus known as Ceresis. I'll talk more about that name later in the episode. There are dozens of true cherry species across the Northern Hemisphere. Most are native to Europe or Asia with a couple in North America and North Africa. The two species I am covering are the sweet cherries, which are cultivated for their fruit, and the Japanese cherries, which are cultivated for their flowers. These two trees in form appear rather similar with just a couple big differences, namely their fruits and flowers. In planted settings, they tend to grow between 15 to 30 feet or 4 to 9 meters, but when growing in the wild, they have been known to reach heights of around 60 feet or 18 meters tall. Cherry bark has this shiny reddish-brown color and is covered in these tiny white dots called lenticels that function kind of like breathing pores. Cherry leaves are elliptical, meaning ovals that end in points, and their edges are sawtoothed. 
This is fairly similar to a lot of leaves, especially in the entire Prunus genus. But one way that they stand out is that they have these two dots right where the leaf stalk meets the leaf. And this detail may seem super minor, but when you're identifying trees and leaves just look like leaves, it is so helpful to have a unique feature like that, no matter how small. So when you're curious about tree identification, we're looking for tiny things like that some of the times. Now let's talk about how they differ with fruits and flowers. The flowers on both species are composed of five petals and can be solitary or form in small clusters. Both flowers bloom before the leaves fill into the tree, which is always a nice springtime feature. The sweet cherry blossoms are somewhat fragrant and tend to be white. Japanese cherry blossoms tend to appear more in shades of pink, and their scent is much more subtle. You can actually easily miss it unless you take the petals and soak them in hot water or something to bring out the scent. The Japanese cherry blossoms also tend to bloom well before the foliage comes in, so areas where a lot of these trees are planted will turn this incredible pink color in the spring. And rather than the tree just spending their flowers and dropping them whole, the individual petals will simply float off into the wind. It's a phenomenon that I have never experienced outside of Animal Crossing, but I've heard it's quite a sight to behold. That's one of those things on my tree bucket list. But where the Japanese cherry champions flowers, the sweet cherry champions fruit. Japanese cherry fruits are small and black and not at all tasty. In many cases, these trees are bred to not produce fruit at all. Sweet cherry fruits are what we know as cherries. When you are buying bags of raw cherries from the grocery store or farmer's market, those are all different varieties of this sweet cherry tree. They are big and sweet and juicy, ranging in color from red to orange or even yellow. And with modern agricultural practices, they are bred to be even bigger, sweeter, and juicier. So those are the two main true cherry species. But what is a bird cherry? Bird cherries are in the subgenus Padus, and they actually used to be in their own genus within the rose family before being lumped into Prunus. There's around a dozen or so bird cherry species. Most of them are native to Asia, with a few in Europe and North America. In form, these trees are very similar to true cherries, but the differences again lie with the fruits and flowers. Bird cherry flowers, rather than growing in solitary, form on what is called a raceme. That's going to be this long central stalk which many small flowers grow off of. And the fruits of these trees are small and always bitter and astringent. They really dry out the mouth. The name bird cherry comes from the idea that these are fruits that are only liked by birds. The important bird cherry that I'm covering is a North American species known as the black cherry. Those in the U.S. have likely heard of this. These are very common forest trees that grow pretty much everywhere in the United States east of the Great Plains. They tend to be taller than the true cherries, often reaching heights closer to 80 feet or 24 meters. I assure you that the fruit is bitter, but you may recognize black cherry as a common fruit flavor. I'll explain why that is, but I don't want to be getting ahead of myself now. All three of these cherry trees have been widely cultivated around the world, but they come from three completely different locations and are bred for three different purposes. With so many ways that cherry trees affect our lives, it's hard to pick where to start. 
So I'm just going to start with the straight up cherry fruit itself. The cherry fruit that we are most familiar with today comes from the species commonly known as sweet cherry, or in Latin, prunus avium. Avium comes from the Latin for bird, which is kind of ridiculous because I literally just spent a few minutes talking about how bird cherries are a thing that are completely different from true cherries. Anyway, sweet cherries are thought to have originated in the Caucasus region between the Black and Caspian Seas. Now, that's that weird region north of the Middle East where the borders of Europe and Asia are kind of vague, where the countries of Armenia, Georgia, and Azerbaijan are. From there, birds carried these seeds west across Europe, and we know this because archaeological evidence has indicated the species' presence in that area, dating back to around 4000 BCE. The sweet cherry was first written about by Theophrastus in 300 BCE, around 300 BCE, I should say, who I mentioned in the Banyan episode. He's considered to be the Greek father of modern botany, and Alexander the Great would tell him about cool trees he found on his world travels. These writings have led historians to believe that the sweet cherry was first cultivated in Greece around that time, likely a few centuries before then. This is further backed up by the name Cherry being derived from the Greek town Karasis, which has since become the town of Gerasen in modern-day Turkey. That's where we get the Latin name for the true cherry subspecies, Sarasis. From Greece, the sweet cherry was taken to Rome, and Romans are seen to have been the primary method for the fruit spreading across Europe. Either them or birds, actually. But in the Roman army, cherries were an important ration, and so the army would plant cherry trees wherever their conquest took them, so they would have that food source. We're going to fast forward now to the 1600s. At this point, cherries have been established all the way to England, and we see English colonists taking sweet cherries with them to the Americas. These trees actually didn't do super great in the climate of what is now eastern United States, but they tried anyway. A little bit later on, the sweet cherry was also introduced in the western part of the continent by Spanish missionaries, but we still didn't see them widely cultivated there until western settlers brought their own stock to Oregon in 1847. From there, it really blew up across the west coast, particularly in Washington and California, where we see really popular varieties like the Bing cherry or the Rainier cherry. Personally, I'm a huge fan of cherries. It's a top-tier fruit, in my opinion. But before I move on from this species, I want to give a quick shout out to another cherry species that was actually cultivated alongside the sweet cherry. It's called the sour cherry, or Prunus sericus. It's pretty much had the exact same journey as the sweet cherry. The main difference is that rather than being sweet, the fruits are very tart. Because of this, they are more commonly used in baked goods, as tart fruits often bake better than sweet fruits. So cherry pie filling or any cherries that are sold as a baking ingredient are more likely to be this species. But we know that cherries aren't just popular for the fruit. There is also the Japanese cherry, which in Latin is called Prunus serulata for the serrate sawtooth leaf edges. These trees are, surprisingly, native to Japan, and in its native range is referred to as sakura. Sakura are highly prized for their beautiful pink flowers that bloom in late March, right around the time when this episode is being released. There is a common practice in Japan known as hanami, which is cherry blossom viewing. And I don't know this next part for a fact, because I've only read about hanami, 
But as I've come to understand it, it reminds me of an American tradition around Christmas time where we drive around to look at the pretty colorful light displays that folks have hung around their houses. Except instead of man-made lights, it is nature presenting us with bright seasonal colors. Again, this is just the vibe I'm picking up. If this is a super wrong assumption, then I apologize. What I do know is that Hanami was thought to have become a springtime tradition for the nobility in the early 8th century. Some texts indicate that it may have even started a few centuries before that. It didn't become widespread in popularity for the Japanese culture as a whole until the Edo period of the 1600s. At that time, we see shogun and samurai, which are more like military classes, begin practicing it. And from the military, it started to seep down to the commoners. Japanese culture does value the sakura for its aesthetic qualities, but also for the symbolism that has been tied to it. Sakura flowers are very beautiful, but very short-lived. The blooming season only lasts for a couple weeks. This is closely tied to the idea of human life, something that is very beautiful, but only temporary. In the modern days, sakura trees and sakura flower viewings are enjoyed around the world. And now, this tree also serves as a symbol of friendship between Japan and the United States. There are many Japanese cherries planted in the U.S. capital, Washington, D.C. The idea to plant them there was first presented by a woman named Eliza Skidmore in 1885. But those who would be in charge of making something like that happen, aka men, were like, hey, that's a cool idea, but you're a woman, so we'll just wait 20 years and come up with the same idea ourselves. Guys, I'm not joking, they did exactly that. In 1906, a plant scientist from the U.S. Department of Agriculture was like, You guys, I had this terrific idea! Japanese cherry trees in Washington, D.C. That's right, my idea. But that's how it started. And when Japan found out about this plan, they offered to gift the U.S. with 2,000 cherry trees. There was just one problem. When these trees arrived, they were covered in bugs, and the U.S. had to be like, Japan hey, this is super awkward, and we are so sorry, but these trees suck, and we have to burn all of them. But Japan was cool with it, I think, and offered to send 3,000 more and promised that they were bug-free this time. And they were, so we managed to plant them all between 1913 and 1920. In return, President William Howard Taft sent a gift of flowering dogwood trees back to Japan, sort of just a native pretty flower trade. I was actually planning on doing a dogwood episode tied to this one, but the only things I really have to say about them is that they have really pretty flowers, we gave some to Japan, and we have several dogwood festivals across the country because we like their pretty white flowers. Uh, boom, that's the whole dogwood episode, there's nothing else to say about them. Speaking of festivals, the first cherry blossom festival in America was celebrated in 1935, and has become a, mostly, annual tradition since then. I say mostly because in the 1940s, the US and Japan were very much not friends at all. So we stopped doing the Cherry Blossom Festival during World War II, but we did pick it back up in 1947 because we really do love these trees. And now that the war was over, word got around that the famous Sakura Grove in Japan that the original gifted trees came from was in bad health. So in a big step to reinstitute friendship between our two countries, the National Park Service offered to send descendants from that same stock back to Japan to help that grove. To reach the hand of friendship back, in 1954, Japan gifted the U.S. with a stone lantern. And ever since then, the annual Cherry Blossom Festival has begun with the lighting of that lantern. 
So now in two ways, we've talked about how cherries have made their way to the US and impacted our culture, but what about our own cherry tree? Like I said, our important cherry is the black cherry, referred to in the scientific community as Prunus serotina, which is similar to the Japanese cherry's Latin name and means much the same. I mentioned how the fruits of these cherry trees are bitter, but if you cook them down, the sweetness comes out, kind of like what happens with the sour cherry. Like I said, tart fruits make better baked goods. So when you see candies or jams or sodas flavored with black cherry, that's most likely going to be this tree species. But the primary use for the black cherry is for its wood. Cherry wood is easily one of the most important hardwood lumber species in America. It is used heavily for cabinetry, furniture, flooring, and a variety of specialty projects. It is rather heavy, but a really sturdy wood and very easily workable. And the wood has this reddish hue that really pops when you get some good lacquer on it. I've actually worked with cherry wood myself. Way back in high school, I was very involved in woodshop, and at the time I was also practicing a lot of archery. I actually used cherry wood to make a carrying case for my bow. It is so, so pretty, but like I said, cherry is a rather heavy wood, which made it a terrible choice for that specific project. It was so hard to actually carry anywhere. One last iconic story about the black cherry is one that just about every American was told in school when they were a child. The story is about our nation's first president, George Washington, and about how honest and virtuous he was as a person. The story goes that when George was but a lad, he took an axe and chopped down his father's prized cherry tree. And when his father saw the tree and asked George what happened, the boy reportedly said, I cannot tell a lie, I cut that tree. That's actually what he sounded like as a child. For whatever reason, every time I hear that quote, it's with a deep manly voice, even though he was a boy. Rather than punishing his son for his wrongs, George Washington's father commended the boy for doing the right thing by telling the truth. This is a nice story for teaching children that telling the truth is the right thing to do. But the thing is, we're not kids anymore. Or if there are kids listening to this, then you're about to hear the real truth. That story is a lie. It never happened. First off, the original story didn't have him cutting the tree down, he just chopped some of the bark off, but the modern telling usually doesn't include that detail, so I didn't either. But in general, this story was invented by one of George Washington's first biographers, Mason Locke Weems. After Washington's death in 1799, folks were like, that guy was really cool and I miss him a lot. And Mason Locke Weems decided that the people could use a nice happy story about him to help them remember their first president. This is just one of the many ways that the cherry has influenced the lives of people around the world, alongside delicious fruit, beautiful flowers, and gorgeous wood. We can stand to learn many different lessons from these incredible and useful trees. I really like using trees to inspire people, like weekly motivation. So this week, try and carry some of these lessons with you. Be honest, be sweet, and make the world a more beautiful place. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. 
Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug.